you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. It's going to be our springboard for this week's Christmas carol, O Come, All Ye Faithful, which we just sang. Now, the last two weeks, we've looked at some carols, and we talked about the history of those carols. And this week, as we just kind of take a quick glance at the history, it's not quite as clear, cut, and dry as the previous two weeks has been as far as the authorship goes. Most historians, with the key emphasis on most there, agree that John Francis Wade penned the initial verses and tune to O Come All Ye Faithful sometime prior to 1751, which that date is the date that it was first published. So we have that record of it. So it was written before then. But some argue that it was more than just a couple of years before 1751 that it could go all the way back to the 12th century, as a matter of fact, when, when John Redding may have written... Uh, some words that at least started the writing of O Come All You Faithful. But there's debate on that, and so you can come down on any side of that coin and still be uh, within the realm of possibility. But either way, the song was originally written in Latin, and it's been translated into a number of languages since then. But the English translation we're most familiar with, especially here in America, was translated by, by a priest by the name of Frederick Oakley. And the song is actually written as an encouragement for believers. I mean, you see that in the title. It says, Come all ye faithful, with faithful being a call, an invitation to those who were faithful, who were dedicated, who were devoted uh, in their service and their following after God. And so when you think about the context of what was happening historically as the Christ child came, uh, this is a tremendously powerful song to think about the culmination of God's promise coming to people uh, who were weary and who were tired and who were looking for deliverance and, and who were longing for the rest that only God can bring. Because you see, historically, the Jewish people had been waiting for centuries for their Messiah to come. They, they had had prophecies and they had talked about each generation that when is the time that the Messiah is going to come. And they were expecting that when this Messiah came, he would grant them freedom. He would deliver them from their oppressors and their persecutors. So the Messiah would give them political freedom, but the Messiah would also grant them special favor. They would be a special uh, people and have a special status in their relationship with God. Now, during their wait for the Messiah to come, the people didn't always faithfully follow after God. As a matter of fact, they were quite often disobedient to God and his command and his call to them. And so they suffered the consequences of their disobedience. They were uh, oftentimes put in slavery by other nations. Uh, they were persecuted uh, by them. At the time Christ was born, they were suffering under the tyranny of the Roman government. They were their oppressors at, this time, at that time. So just imagining this longing that these people had for, for the Christ child to come, I was thinking about it, and I wondered if any of you have ever had the sensation of being just flat-out dog-tired. I mean, you're just wiped out. Maybe you've landscaped, you know, all day or, or some kind of manual labor, uh, you know, shoveling snow for a couple of hours. Uh, somebody caught me out here earlier and said, I saw you teaching your son how to shovel snow yesterday. It's like, oh, you caught that lesson, did you? I was leaning back against the house going, get that spot over there, Caleb. Yeah, you missed that one. Here, here get this over here. Because after about five minutes of showing him, I was like, ow, that really hurts. Come here, 10-year-old. You'll grab the shovel and, and, and get going, you know. So you, you've had that experience. Maybe it's physical 
labor, maybe it's an athletic event, or even if it's not a manual physical thing, it's stress and anxiety. You've been in those high tense pressure situations, maybe something at work with deadlines, or you've been in, in, in conflict situations, and there's just high level, high stress and anxiety, and your body tightens up, and you have these knots. You've had that experience, but think about when you're in the midst of all that, coming in, getting a shower, getting some nice hot food in your belly, and then you go to your favorite chair or you find your spot on the couch. You know what it's like to sit down when all that's finally over? You sit down and there's that moment. You ever felt that? Just that sensation that your muscles relax and just this sensation psychologically, emotionally, physically, there's just this release and you feel that, that sense of relaxation. Well, thinking about that sense and just that, that desire and that longing to have that moment of just calm and serenity, I want you to think about the Jewish people who've been waiting for centuries for their Messiah to come. And there's no doubt that they were questioning, as people do today, as we experience the stress and the strain and the hustle and bustle and the anxiety and everything that's pulling at us, people often wonder and say, is God really there? I mean, has God forgotten about us? Did, did God just write us off because we've messed up so bad that he's finally just dusting his hands and said, I finished with you. I give up because, because you're hopeless. Has God turned his back on us and just said he's done with us? Because God promised that he'd give us freedom and he promised he would help us and that he would be in our midst. But, but where is God in the midst of the struggle and, the, and the, the hardships and the difficulties that we're experiencing? The Jewish people were wondering this, and people today still wonder some of those same things. I want you to indulge me for just a moment. If you would just close your eyes, I want you to close your eyes. Just think about the Jewish people and their oppression and how long it had been. Maybe just think about yourself. It may, be, it may not be hard for you to imagine this stress and this strain and, and the pull of all these things in the midst of this season. You're like, man, I'll be so glad when it's over so we can get that sense of rest and relaxation. But with your eyes closed, thinking about just all the strains and the stressors that are there, hear these words from Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not for your back, not for your legs, not for your feet. You will find rest for your souls. Hearing those words and that invitation from Christ with, you, with your eyes still closed and reflecting on that, I want you to hear these words again. This time, think of these as an invitation from God, a whisper from the Holy Spirit calling you to come and see the one God has sent to bring you that rest that Jesus has promised. Oh, come. All ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh come ye, oh come ye to Oh, come, let us adore Him. 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 Oh, come, let us ad
as we hear the words to this song, Lord, we hear the words of hope, the invitation to come to you and to behold this child who would be the fulfillment of all that you had promised to your people. Father, we hear your call to come and see Jesus, to see that you have been faithful to your own word and that, Lord, you did what you had promised. And Father, that reminds us that even today, Lord, you will do all that you've promised in your word. If we would come to you and we would receive the gift of salvation made possible through your son. So, Lord, I pray today that we would experience the joy and the encouragement and the refreshment in our hearts and spirits because of the wonderful gift that you've given in your son. And Lord, I pray that we would look to his example as to how to live our lives in faithfulness and obedience to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Look with me at Luke 2. I want you to see two faithful followers of God who got to behold this Christ child. They saw this baby and they recognized that God's promises were indeed about to come true because God is always faithful and true to his word. Verse 25 in Luke chapter 2 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he was waiting for this Messiah. It says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He means to die. He's like, Lord, now I can die in peace. Because he had seen this precious child who was here. He says in verse 30, as to why, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon saw this baby, not even the full-grown Messiah. He saw the baby, and he said, I can die in peace because I know that God has been true to his promises, that God has fulfilled the word he has spoken. And flip on over to verse 36. It speaks of an elderly prophetess named Anna who faithfully worshiped God. And we pick up her story uh, in verse 38. It says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of of Israel. So here was this other woman. She was described as being faithful in prayer and fasting and never leaving the temple because she was there worshiping God. And she too sees the Christ child and rejoices and shares with others all that God had done because she recognized the fulfillment of God's promises. 
so what I want you to recognize is that the Messiah was here, and they saw him in his infancy, and there was great joy and rejoicing on their part because they said God's going to be true to his promises. But there's going to be an issue that's going to transpire because the people were expecting this Messiah to come who would give them political freedom, physical freedom, and, and then exalt them to a place of dominance and a special favor before God uh, to kind of to have this place of favor and of special status as God's chosen people. So the people were looking for a Messiah and they had expectations as to what this Messiah was going to do. And Jesus would come and he wouldn't meet their expectations. And this would be a problem. This would be an issue. It would be an issue that would ultimately cost him his life. Now note that I didn't say that Jesus didn't fulfill the promises and he didn't do what they thought he was going to do because Jesus did accomplish those things. Jesus did come and he provided freedom. Jesus provides freedom from sin and the consequences of our sin being separated from God for all of eternity. Jesus brings freedom, but not the freedom they were looking for. And Jesus would establish those who believed in him as a special, blessed people. The Bible says that they would become the children of God. They would, be, they would be set apart. They would be called out to serve God. And God himself, the Bible promises, would live within those who believed in his son, Jesus Christ. Meaning he would always be with them. And he would bring his limitless power to bear upon their lives. You see, the promises of God would come true, and they would be better than the people had expected. They were looking for a Messiah who would do these things, and Jesus came and did those things in a way better than they could have even imagined. But it wasn't what they were looking for, and it wasn't what they expected. So what I want us to do this morning is talk for a few minutes about how we can experience the promises that are highlighted in this Christmas carol, which are actually promises from God's word. And here's the thing. If we will let go of our expectations and our desires and we will receive from God what God sends and what God intends and desires for us, we will experience something so much more wonderful than we could have ever imagined. Just as the people living in this day did as they received the Christ child and the gift that God had sent through him. So the song says, O come all ye faithful. Describes people as faithful. Well, faithfulness is part of the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. That as we live our lives surrendered to God and the Holy Spirit lives within us, God will help us be faithful. God will help us be steady. God will help us be consistent. Whatever word you want to kind of use to maybe help you understand faithful, God will help us do that in our life. And why does God help us do that? Why is that one of the fruit of the Spirit? Because the fruit of the Spirit means the Holy Spirit living within us helps us evidence and display the characteristics and the qualities and the traits of God. God is faithful. Therefore, one of the things that he desires and will bring about in our lives is that we will reflect his character and his nature and we will be faithful. We will be people who are consistent and true and steady to the character and nature of God as it's evidenced in our lives. Well, let's just cut to the chase here on this issue of faithfulness. And let me ask it this way. How faithful are you in cultivating a personal growing relationship with Jesus Christ? 
God is faithful. He desires for us to be faithful. One of the greatest things that we can do, the best thing we can do in our life, in our relationship, in our walk with God is cultivating a growing relationship with him. So how faithful are you in cultivating a personal growing relationship with Jesus Christ? And you say, well, well, how do we do that? Well, let's evaluate and ask that question in light of a couple of things the Bible speaks of. How would you feel, just evaluating our own faithfulness, if we were to put on the screen how much time you spent this last week reading or studying God's Word? We get a little nervous thinking about that, don't we? To go, oh, it wouldn't be a good week for me to put that in. Last week would have been maybe a good week, but this week I, I might be a little embarrassed, a little ashamed of, of the time that I didn't get to spend reading God's Word this week. And yet God has called us and said that, that, that his word is life, that his word is true, and that we should feast on his word. So that's an area we can be faithful in cultivating our relationship with God is by reading and studying his word. So we should ask ourselves, how much time and energy and effort do I put in studying God's word? I can't answer that for you. That's part of your journey of faithfulness in your relationship with God. Let's think about another area. The Bible calls us to be people of prayer. That prayer should be a part of the fabric of our life in communion and relationship and fellowship with God. So the question may be, how much time did you spend in prayer? Alone, undistracted, focused in your relationship and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ this last week. And again, you go, oh, it wasn't a good week. Well, let me ask you this to kind of give a comparison here and to help us understand this concept a little bit and frame it. How many of you watched, say, 30 minutes of television this week? Maybe you watched a sitcom one day. Well, on that day that you watched that sitcom, did you also spend 30 minutes in prayer and time alone with God? Now, you're going to disagree with this statement and this assessment, but nonetheless, it's going to be true. If you spent 30 minutes watching television and you didn't spend 30 minutes in prayer, you determined that television was more important than prayer. And you say, no, no, what, that's what your time says. Your priorities and your choices and your decisions place television watching over spending time in prayer with God. And we, we well, wait a minute. It was a busy week and it was all this. No rationalizations and justification. The proof's in the pudding, all right? And we do what's important to us. We make and we find time to do those things. So we stop and we pause and we say, well, wait a second. Is that the way this works? This is part of faithfulness. How faithful are you being in pursuing and cultivating a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? And we give all these excuses and we're busy and we did this and we did this and we did this. Here's the bottom line to it. If you are too busy to spend time with God, then you are busier than God wants you to be. Think about that. If you are too busy to spend time with God, then you are busier than God wants you to be. God's never going to call you to live a life and do so many things that you can't cultivate the growing relationship with him that he desires, that he sent his son so that you could have that very relationship. And we say, well, I'm doing things for the Lord. And I was at church and I was doing this or I was, I was doing all these things and they were for the Lord. Well, the bottom line is this. God doesn't call you to do anything for him that would keep you from spending time with him. He's not going to do it. He's not going to call you to a task and say, yeah, go do this and don't worry about spending time with me. That's not God's desire and his will and his plan for you. And then I shudder to think about the ramifications of that because here's what it means. If you're doing anything for God without regularly spending time with God, you are doing it in your strength and not his. 
And let me ask you, whose strength do you want to work in? Yours or God's? Do you want to accomplish what you can do or what God can do in you and through you? I shudder to think about the decisions and the things that we do without having spent time in relationship and communion and fellowship with God, seeking his face so that he can guide and direct us in those things. See, this is part of what it means to be faithful in relationship with God. Those are two examples. Shall we talk about service, serving the Lord and how we're using our gifts and our talents? How about our giving, you know, in our giving of our tithes and our offerings and giving back to the Lord from that? How faithful are we being in that area? How faithful are we being in sharing our faith? I mean, who did you share the gospel with this last week? Who did you build a relationship with and, and take a step closer to sharing the gospel with them? And we could go on and on, but you're going, okay, uncle, uncle, I get the point. You know, I give up, let's move on. It's getting a little painful. And I understand that. Because I've had to deal with this same uh, evaluation in my own life this week. I tell people, I say, man, I have no mercy in preaching the sermon because what you're, you're dealing with, I've dealt with all week long, all right? So I understand the evaluation and the hard look in the mirror to ask myself these questions and to say, where am I in my faithfulness and in my seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, our church's mission statement is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know from experience that when I have sought to be faithful in my relationship with Jesus Christ, that God has always met me more than halfway. That God doesn't sit over and say, okay, come on. When you get up here, when you get yourself worked up, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, when you get to my level, then I'll meet you and I'll begin to do things in your life. No, God is always, as I have set out to just say, Lord, I'm going to try. I'm weak and I fail and I'm just so miserable at this. But, Lord, I want to try and I really want to do the right thing. God always meets and blesses and pours out his presence and his power and his grace and mercy in ways I could never have imagined. But it takes time. And it takes initiative and it takes a desire on our part to do these things. But when we set out and we seek God, God will meet us and God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine in our lives. And so I ask you this morning, are you willing? Will you do whatever it takes to faithfully seek after God in a personal growing relationship with him? It may be a simple thing. Maybe you need to go to bed 30 minutes earlier so you can get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning. Maybe it's giving up an hour of television or 30 minutes of television to spend that time seeking God uh, instead of some other pursuit. I don't know what it may look like for you, but my question is, would you be willing to make that sacrifice, to make that commitment, do whatever you need to do to faithfully seek to cultivate your growing personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you would do that, then your life will never be the same. And I don't say that because I can promise that. I can say that because of what God teaches in his word, that when we seek him with our whole heart, the Bible says we will find him. We will find him. And so I encourage you and I challenge you with that. I close with this uh, in this section. Kopp Koppmeyer is a man who authored four books based on principles he discovered uh, of over 50 years of research on successful business leaders. And someone once asked Mr. Koppmeyer, they said, of, of the thousands of success principles you discovered, what is the most important? And without blinking an eye, he said this, do what you should do when you should do it, whether you feel like it, or not. Do what you should do when you should do it, whether you feel like it or not. Do you know what Jesus, do you remember what Jesus said is the first and greatest commandment 
for his followers. Matthew 22, someone said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. So I challenge you, whether you feel like it or not, seek after and spend time with God. And here's the thing you need to understand. You may never feel like it. Because you know what? We have an enemy who's in the world who doesn't want you to spend time with God. And he's going to give you every excuse and any excuse and do everything he can to keep you from spending time cultivating your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's going to oppose you at every step and at every turn. But faithfully seek the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And when you do that... Our Christmas carol describes some of the things that will come to fruition in your life. First, it says, oh, come all you faithful when you're faithful. And it calls them, it says, joyful and triumphant. We can experience joy as we faithfully seek after God. Do you know where else joy is found in the Bible? It's found in Galatians 5.22 as another of the fruit of the Spirit. When you faithfully seek God and God helps grow that faithfulness, you will experience joy. And joy is more than emotion. We, we sometimes equate joy and happiness. Well, well, happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. We're not always happy, but we can always experience joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, we shouldn't trust our emotions. I mean, our emotions, let's face it, they change day to day, hour to hour. Maybe you met people that change minute to minute, you know, whatever the case may be. But, but our emotions are always changing based on what's going on. But we can experience joy in every situation. In times of grief, in times of loss, we're not happy at having lost a loved one. But if that person was in Jesus Christ, and many of us can tell stories of, of loved ones who have gone on who were believers, that even in the midst of that grief and that great time of loss, there was joy, maybe a smile to your face and pleasant memories thinking about what they were experiencing in the arms of Jesus Christ. There was joy and there was hope. It, it wasn't uh, sadness that overwhelmed to the point that we couldn't function. There was joy, there was light because we knew there was something better for them. And they had been released from that suffering and the hardships that they were facing here on earth. And we look forward to the day that we will be reunited because of our relationship with Jesus Christ as well. And in John chapters 15 and 16, Jesus spoke of the joy that he brings to his followers. In 15, he left... 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And in chapter 16, when he spoke of his death, his disciples were upset and he said, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Now, how sad is that? They're crying, they're sorrowful, and the world's rejoicing at the death of their leader. He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy is what Jesus said. Our sorrows turn to joy. And later he added that you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus speaks of this joy and faithfully walking with God brings this joy that can't be quenched regardless of our circumstances. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. Triumphant is another thing that we can experience because of Jesus Christ as we grow in relationship with him. The Bible says that we have victory in Jesus, victory of everything, victory to overcome all things in this world. In John 16, after he spoke of joy, Jesus told his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And he goes on and he, he makes a promise here. 
This isn't something that likely will happen. Jesus says it will happen. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Not you may have, or it's a strong possibility. You will have tribulation. But he tells his disciples, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And John would take that promise, and later uh, in his epistle, he would write, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We can be triumphant over all things in this life and in this world through the power of Christ who lives within us. Now, last week, as we were talking about this song and how the angels, you know, in in one of the Christmas carols, they didn't sing what was out of scripture. Well, in this song, it talks about glory to God in the highest, and which is a a right out of the pages of Luke 2 is what the angels sang at the birth of Christ. Uh, The song gives gives a reference in here. It says, born this happy morn. And we go, now, wait a minute. I, I didn't think Jesus was born in the morning. You know, because it says the shepherds were in the field by night when the angels came and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So I thought it was more of a night birth than a morning birth. Well, we don't have the exact time. You know, they weren't keeping a minute by minute, uh, you know, update on Facebook or on Twitter. So maybe it was like 1 a.m. or something like that. And that still counts as the morning, right? Or likely, could very be likely, that when you're writing, born this happy, what rhymes with born? Born this happy afternoon, Born this happy evening. The whole rhyme thing doesn't fit you know, there. So, so born this happy morn. Uh, but even again, the picture that's conveyed in born this happy morn is an idea there of a new day. I mean, you, you've rested well. The, the sun's coming up. The sun's shining. You have a new day of hope and joy. So born this happy morning is a day of rejoicing, of celebration at what Christ has done. And that last verse says we have this celebration because it says word of the Father now in flesh appearing. And as we've been studying John's gospel, we talked about this truth that God became flesh. And as I looked at that and I saw the words in the song, I was like, well, well, why is that important? Why as we've been talking about, is it important that the word became flesh? Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. I mean, couldn't God and hadn't God already given his word and it had been written down? I mean, people had instructions. They know what they needed to do. So if he'd already spoken and had it written down, why would he have to appear in the flesh? Well, let me give you an example. Anyone here not really all that good with written instructions that that you're willing to confess and say, yeah, written instructions are not really my forte? I've shared, I've been pretty open and honest that I am not a handy manny when it comes to construction type projects. And even when I have the instructions, that stuff just doesn't compute in my mind. There are things I do well, things I don't. And this whole construction and reading instruction things, it just doesn't always fit together in my brain. A couple of weeks ago, I took the kids over to uh, Home Depot. They're trying to get, uh, you know, buyer loyalty, but so you bring your children into these little construction projects, you know, early on. So I took them over there, and we were making Christmas picture frames. And so uh, Caleb, my 10-year-old, is working on his, and Anna's there, you know, working next to him. And I'm helping my 3-year-old put his picture frame together. And I got out, and I looked at the instructions, started working, lined my holes up, got the glue on there. And I'm down to the last two nails. You know, I'm holding the nails for Daniel to drive in, and have done pretty well thus far. You know, no, no, no purple fingernails or anything like that with a three-year-old and a hammer. That's taken a step of faith right there. But we were down to the last two nails of this picture frame, and I'm looking at Daniel's, and Caleb finishes and flips his over, and I went, huh. And I look back at ours, and Caleb's had a smooth front on it, and ours had these two little ledges on it. 
And I looked at his, and I looked at ours, and I got the instructions out, and I looked at the instructions. Still didn't know what I was looking at, supposed to do. But I could tell by that seeing his and the, what we were doing, one looked like a picture frame and one didn't. Now, if I had a nickel for every time I've ever had to do this in a construction project of a home entertainment center or a kid's toy or something, you know what I did? I took my screwdriver, I popped it loose, pulled everything out, wiped all the glue off of it, you know, so I had sticky fingers the rest of the day, flipped the pieces over, put them back together like my 10-year-old had already done. You know, I followed his pattern. Anna had followed her brother, so hers was okay too. I don't do well with that stuff. The instructions are written down, but I missed it. Well, you know what? God gave us written instruction, but you know what happens? We've missed it. Maybe we were confused sometimes and didn't understand that it was ambiguous, but we still missed the mark. But you know what? It's not a matter of, well, I was confused. I didn't understand it. We could see clearly. We can understand clearly what this book says. And you know what we do? Say, "Hmm, I don't feel like it. Not today. I'm not going to. And we totally disobey and disregard the instructions in this book. And so the word of God appeared in the flesh to give us an example, to show us what obedience, to show us what faithfulness looked like. And we can experience the joy and the triumph of Christ in our life when we follow Jesus' example. We need only look to him. The word in the flesh appeared so that we would have an example to follow. Was Jesus a man of prayer? Absolutely. Jesus told us to love our neighbors. As we love ourselves, we say, well, how do we do that? We follow the example of Jesus. Jesus told us to, uh, to love those who persecuted us and pray for those. And if we follow his example, we can see how to do that. Jesus showed us how to have a zeal for the things of God and to stand up for God's glory and to take a stand for God's word and how to confront others who, who are uh, attacking God's glory and God's word, but to still do that with love and grace and mercy. The word in flesh appearing gives us an example to follow. And if we follow that example, then our life can do what Jesus' life did. And what did Jesus' life do? It brought glory to God. When Jesus was born, the angel said, glory to God in the highest. God's promises were about to come true. When Christ died on the cross, God was glorified because God was able to show his justice and pour out his wrath and his punishment against the sins of all mankind. And God was glorified when Christ resurrected from the dead because all who came to him through Christ would be his children for all of eternity. And so today, just as the words of the song say, I say, oh, come. Oh, come if you have never received the gift of salvation made possible through Jesus Christ. Tell God, admit that that you've missed the mark, that you didn't follow the instructions, and you're sorry for that, and ask God to forgive you, and God will do that through Jesus Christ, and then invite him into your life to be your Savior and then to be your Lord. We sing in this song, Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That means one who is in control, one who is in charge of our lives. And so I invite you today uh, to make him the Lord of your life. And for those of you who are believers this morning, I ask you, are you being faithful in your relationship with Jesus Christ for him to be the Lord of your life? And if not, then what is it going to take for you today? What is God whispering and speaking to your heart that needs to change so that he can be the Lord of your life, that you can experience his joy, that you can triumph in all situations as he desires for you to do? I read a quote here a while back. Somebody was speaking and giving an analogy, and they said, you know, believers are like sticks of dynamite. The power is on the inside because it's the power of God. But nothing happens with dynamite until the fuse gets lit. 
Well, how do we light the fuse? We do it by, by doing what the song speaks of, of coming and adoring him, coming, falling at the feet of Jesus in adoration and complete surrender, saying, Lord, I may have had these thoughts. I may have had these expectations, these desires, but I lay them down and I receive from you all that you have, all that you desire, all that you want for my life. So would you submit to him as Christ the Lord and allow him to accomplish his work both in and through your life? That's our invitation for you today, for you to receive and to make Christ the Lord of your life. So would you do that as he speaks to your heart today?